God's word works. God's word works. God's word worked in the beginning. Created all there is. God's word works even now, upholding all that there is, so that leaf or blade, rain or drought, fruitful or lean years, health or sickness, prosperity and poverty, all things come to us, not by chance, but from his holy word. God's holy word. It is the only word that works salvation. It is the only word that gives lasting peace. It is the word that has raised you from the dead. It is the word that has made you the righteousness of God. It is the word that leads you. It is the word of God that has seated you in heaven. It is the word of God that seats you in heaven and nourishes and sustains your entire existence. God's working is his wording. God's working is his wording. And it's easy to affirm God's word in good times. It's easy to confess sola scriptura when things are right. But what about in bad times? What about bad times? You get the news that it's cancer and fear sets in and soon God's promise to work all things together for your good is forgotten and, and doubt creeps in. We so easily forget that cancer is God's cancer. Cancer is God's cancer. Isaiah is not wrong. The prophet Isaiah 45, chapter 7, says of Yahweh, God speaking through Isaiah, I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. If darkness is not God's darkness, he cannot help you when the darkness surrounds. If God, if calamity is not God's work, then God cannot work the calamity out for your good, as he has promised. But God's word is true. Even when evil men, even when men mean evil against you, you can fear not, for you know that God has meant it for your good. God is sovereign, absolutely sovereign. And he is faithful. He is an absolute sovereign God. He is a faithful father. And you put those two together and you get a word that works your only comfort in life and in death. The word works comfort. Therefore, you need no other word. And God's word works even in the worst of times. And that is the story in our text this morning. God's word works even in the worst of times. 2 Kings chapter 18, verse 13 says, In the 14th year of King Hezekiah, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and took them. All the fortified cities. 
and took them. That's a great threat, perhaps a greater threat than the news of cancer. And it follows, this threat follows after the arrival of the second David. Chapter 18 is the arrival of the second David. It's the David we've been waiting for. The man of God, the king who has done right in the eyes of the Lord, the king like David, who held fast to the word of God as we saw last week. Hezekiah held fast to God's word and holding fast to God's word, he reformed the church. Because that's what happens when you trust God's word. That's what happens when Sola Scriptura takes over a church. The church becomes reformed. Reformed by the word of God alone. He followed God's word, which led to the destruction of foreign religious influence and foreign religious domination. He destroyed that idolatry. He trusted God's word, and the result says in verse 7, the Lord was with him. He trusted God's word, and Yahweh was with him, and he prospered. Easy to trust the Lord when he's with you in prosperity. He's the second David. And the narrator highlights his David credentials by reminding us that he wiped out David's ancient foe, the Philistines. The Lord was with him and he prospered. But what about adversity? What about when there's adversity? It's easy to trust the Lord in prosperity. But what about in adversity? In the annals of Assyria's history, we can read of Sennacherib's boast in museum pieces that corroborate this shutting in of Hezekiah like a bird in a cage. Sennacherib boasted that he set Hezekiah in like a bird in a cage by setting earthworks to prevent egress from the city. This is siege warfare, taking all the fortified cities where you're basically trapped in your nation. You're trapped in your own cities, trapped in your own home without escape, without import. And you either starve, fight, or surrender. And that's the question before us in the text. Will Hezekiah, like the northern kings, surrender? Or is Hezekiah truly the new David? And will he fight? And will he fight victoriously? In the face of a great threat, will he trust the Lord? Or will he shrink back in fear? That is the question. That is the question before all of us in times of trouble. So the question really of the text is our favorite question. The favorite question. What is your only comfort in life and in death? What is your only comfort in life and in death? Assyria defied the armies of the Lord, and Assyria has defined the Lord himself. Who does this remind you of? Who did David meet in battle early in his career? Through the Bibles, turn with me to 1 Samuel for a moment. 1 Samuel. Uh, we were just in 1 Samuel, it seems like. Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17, to be exact. 1 Samuel 17, verse 45 through 47. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name 
of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down, and I will cut off your head. The Philistine, Goliath. Now, this second David stands before a great army. As David stood before the great Goliath and trusted the Lord. Now the opportunity to be the new David is now before Hezekiah did. David trusted Yahweh in prosperity. David trusted Yahweh in adversity. He trusted Yahweh when there was the greatest threat, the giant Goliath. Now there's a giant army before Hezekiah. Will he answer the call? Will he answer the call? We don't have to wait very long. Verse 14, and Hezekiah, king of Judah, sent to the king of Assyria at Lachish, saying, I have done wrong. Withdraw from me. Whatever you impose on me, I will bear. It's a, it's a major letdown. Kind of reminds me of the Dallas Cowboys in the playoffs. It's not very David-like. It's more like the kings of the north that we've come to hate. Then Assyria does Assyria things, asks for money. And like the kings of the north who robbed the Lord to pay off the threats, which, by the way, didn't work. The north robbed the temple to pay off. They robbed from the Lord to pay off Assyria. He took the money, but he took it all anyway. So history proves, a short history proves that Hezekiah should just, might, he might as well just fight. He knows they're coming anyway. He might as well fight. And redemptive history proves that he should fight because Yahweh will deliver his people. Yahweh will deliver these uncircumcised in the land to him. Into his hands. But major letdown. He robs from the Lord too. Verse 15, And Hezekiah gave him all the silver that was found in the house of the Lord. Strip the walls bare. Strip the temple walls bare of gold. Took what belonged to Yahweh and gave it to the Antichrist. Major letdown. Did just as the north. And just like Assyria did with the north, he ain't going away without it all. Verse 17. And the king of Assyria sent the Tartan, the Rabbiseries, and the Rabshakia with a great army from Lachish to King Hezekiah at Jerusalem. They went up and came to Jerusalem. And when they arrived, they stood at the conduit by the pool of the highway. And they call out, we're taking it all. Surrender. A great army. The narrator explains this great army stood before the new David. Stood before Hezekiah. Would he trust Yahweh? David stood before the great and powerful Goliath, trusted Yahweh. Hezekiah now stands before the greatness of Assyria. Whom will he trust? Will he trust the Lord? And testing, testing the faith of Hezekiah is the text. That is the story. The story is showing us, the narrator is showing us that his, his metal is being tested. His metal is being tested as the new David. And that's where we are in 2 Kings. He's being tested. Will he pass the test? Verse 19, and Rabshakeh said to them, Say to Hezekiah, thus says the great king, the king of Assyria, On what do you rest this trust of yours? Where does your trust lie? 
The word trust is used five times in this paragraph alone. Whom do you trust? The field commander asks, what is your only comfort? What is your only comfort in life and in death? Whom do you trust? And the answer can take many forms. Was his hope in diplomacy and the art of war? Verse 20, do you think that mere words and strategy and the power of war can save you? Could hope in the allied forces save you? Behold, verse 21, are you trusting in Egypt? Is it the allied forces? Are they going to protect you from me? Who are weak, by the way? Perhaps you trust Yahweh, verse 22. But if you say to me, we trust in the Lord our God, is it not he, who, is it not he whose high places and altar Hezekiah has removed, saying to Judah and to Jerusalem, you shall worship before this altar in Jerusalem? The Assyrians basically saying, you barely worship Yahweh. I mean, they're actually worshiping Yahweh right. The Assyrian doesn't know that. All he has seen is he's seen that they've taken away, taken away all the religious symbols, all the icons. Therefore, they are a faithless people. Is Yahweh going to be faithful to a faithless people who's not even truly worshiping? I mean, they are, but he doesn't know that. And so the field commander strikes a deal. Temptation. Temptation always follows fear. And our temptations take various forms, but the essence is always the same. The essence of temptation is always the same, to trust in another. It is the devil's language. It is the devil's way to lead you away from the Lord to trust in another. You see, the devil wants you so far away from God's word. He wants you as far away from the word as possible, and he'll even use religion to get you there. Verse 25. He says, Is it without the Lord that I have come up against this place to destroy it? The Lord has said to me, Go up against this land and destroy it. The field commander of Assyria is basically saying, Thus saith the Lord. He's now providing the word of the Lord. This antichrist figure is speaking for the Lord, using religion to tempt the Israelites to turn from Yahweh. He claims to speak for the Lord, which is just another tactic of antichrist. Satan does whatever he can to weaken your trust in his word. And his best tactic is religion, not a true religion. But religion nonetheless, a religion of law without the gospel. Verse 26, then Elikim, the son of Hilkiah, the son of Shebna and Joah, said to Rabshikah, please speak to your servants in Aramaic, for we understand it. Do not speak to us in the language of Judah within the hearing of the people who are on the wall. Please don't speak to us in Aramaic. Speak to us in, or don't speak to us in Hebrew. Speak to us in Aramaic so that we don't frighten the people. Don't frighten the people up here. Of course, that wasn't in the best interest of the, of the field commander. He wanted to frighten. He wanted to frighten the people because he wants to tempt them. He wants to get them to turn from the Lord. He wants to get them to turn to another word. Therefore, they should not listen to Hezekiah. Verse 28, Then the Rabshika stood and called out in a loud voice in the language of Judah. 
called out in Hebrew. So they could all hear, hear the word of the great king, the king of Assyria. Thus says the king, do not let Hezekiah deceive you. He's not able to provide. He's not able to protect you. He can't deliver you out of my hand. Yahweh can't deliver you. No gods have delivered their people from Assyria. Our gods are greater. Our king is greater still. So he defies the nation of Israel like Goliath. And he defies Israel's God like Goliath. That is the Antichrist. They should not listen to Hezekiah with all his talk of trust and deliverance. The realities are quite different. They should make peace with Assyria and surrender the city. And at least if they do that, they will live. Verse 30. Do not let Hezekiah make you trust in Yahweh by saying Yahweh will surely deliver us and this city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. And then he says, more than life, if you surrender, I'll give you more than life. You will thrive. The Antichrist was saying, I will give you more than just life. I can give you more than Yahweh. I can, you can thrive if you follow me. Not just live, but thrive, verse 31. Do not listen to Hezekiah. For thus says the king of Assyria, make your peace with me and come out to me. Then each one of you will eat of his own vine and each of his own fig tree. And each of you will drink the water of his own cistern. The king of Assyria is saying, I will be your provider. I will be Judah's provider. I will be your Lord. And not only that, I will bring you into a new land, another land flowing with milk and honey. Right, Yahweh's brought you into the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will bring you into the land, verse 32, I will come and take you from the land, give you a new land, a land of grain and wine, a land of bread and vineyards, a land of olive trees and honey that you may live and not die. Don't listen to Hezekiah. Don't put your trust in Yahweh. With me, you can thrive. Says the false prophet. And it's going to happen anyway. No God, not even Yahweh, can keep Assyria back. And the field commander here in this text sought to undermine Judah's trust in anyone than Assyria. Sought to undermine God's people to trust anyone than Assyria, the Antichrist. This is the word of Antichrist. He seeks to undermine God's word, and he always provides another word. He promises you comfort. He wants to provide you the comfort you need in body and soul. Another word. The temptation. The fear. He brought fear, and then he brought temptation. Adversity and temptation to flee that adversity by trusting another. And how do we avoid the temptation to trust another? And the answer begins where it always begins, before the Lord. It says, verse 36, but the people were silent. They didn't answer the Assyrians because the king said, do not answer. And then those in charge tore their clothes. They came and told Hezekiah, Verse chapter 19 says, as soon as, as soon as the king, as soon as King Hezekiah heard it, he tore his clothes, covered himself with sackcloth, 
and went into the house of the Lord. Went into the house of the Lord. That's kind of sounds like what David used to do, didn't it? That's what David used to do. When there was trouble, he went into the house of the Lord. This, this is very David-like. This is good. Maybe there's a little David left in the tank after all. Verse 2. And he sent Alakim, who was over the household, the, and Shibna, the secretary of the senior priest, covered with sackcloth, to the prophet Isaiah. He went and sought the prophet. Man, David used to do that. When there was trouble, David would go into the house of the Lord, and David would seek the prophet Samuel. This is very David-like. This is good. It's looking good. It's looking good, people. <laughs> and what he sought from Isaiah was prayer. Verse 4, It may be that the Lord your God heard the words of the Rabshabakiah, whom the master of the king of Assyria has sent to mock the living God and will rebuke the words that the Lord your God has heard. Therefore, lift up your prayer. He calls for Isaiah to pray. Lift up your prayer for the remnant that is left. That's very David-like. Going into the house of the Lord, seeking the prophet in prayer, very David-like. Things are beginning to look up. In verse 6, verse 5, when the servants of King Hezekiah came to Isaiah, verse 6, Isaiah said to them, Say to your master, Thus says Yahweh, Thus says the Lord, Do not be afraid. Because of the words that you have heard, don't be afraid of the words of the Assyrians which which the servants of the king of Assyria have reviled me. Hear this word. Behold, I will put a spirit in him so that he shall not hear, so that he shall hear a rumor and return to his own land, and I will make him fall by the sword in his own land. And all of this came true. No siege ramp was ever raised against Jerusalem. Verse 32 of chapter 19. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into this city or shoot an arrow there or come before it with a shield or cast a siege mound against it. They never sieged Jerusalem. And then the king of Assyria was killed by his own son, verse 37. And as the king of Assyria was worshiping in the house of Nishroch, his god, Adramelech and Sharzer, his son, struck him down with a sword and escaped into the land of Aret. His own son struck him down. Yahweh delivered his people. Look at verse 35. That night the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when the people arose early in the morning, behold, these were all dead bodies. I taught our children this morning about Christophanes, the appearance of Christ in the Old Testament. Here he is, the angel of the Lord, the pre-incarnate Christ, Lord of battle. Lord Sabaoth is his name. Lord Sabaoth of his name. He's the leader of the host of God's armies. He destroyed took out the Assyrian army. Yahweh delivered Judah from the tyranny of the devil. He watched over them so that not even a hair fell from their head without the will of the Father in heaven. Our only comfort in life and in death. And look how it all worked. Look how all of this worked. The word worked. 
The prophet Isaiah spoke a prophetic word and it came to pass. That is the power of the word of God. That's the power of the word of the Lord juxtaposed to the word of the great Assyrian king. The great Assyrian king spoke this word of destruction and devastation. Yet one little word from the prophet Isaiah undid it all. Because that word is above all earthly powers. It is the word of the Lord because God's word truly saves. Because God's word is living and active and sharper than a double-edged sword. So God's word worked for their salvation. God's working is his wording. When he speaks it, it comes to pass. When the prophet speaks, it acts. When the minister preaches, God's word works. Now you live and I, you and I live in a world of competing words. Pornography is a competing word of comfort, is it not? Temps tempts you to trust another. Yet God's word says adultery does violence. Adultery does violence every time. Money, money tempts you, does it not, to put your hope. Money tempts you to actually, it tempts you to, towards scarcity to hold it all back for yourself, not to give to another. Yet God's word commands you to work hard and give hard. For it is more blessed to give than to receive. Fear is a false word, as is pain. Fear and pain are false words. They want you to look elsewhere for answers, drugs, Therapy, suicide, when the fear is great and the pain is hard. They say, the fear and the pain say to you, God's not there. God doesn't care about you. That's the word of the Antichrist. That's the word of the adversary. But listen to the word of the Lord. He says, fear not. I am with you. I will never forsake you. I will never leave you. I know your pain. He says, I feel your fears. For I am the God who does these things. And I love you. I am the God who works calamity. I am the God who creates darkness. Almighty, and I love you. I love you. I will see you through it. Take my hand and let me lead you through the valley of darkness. It's my valley. You will pass through onto my green pastures and my still waters. That's God's word. We put our trust in it. Take his word for it alone will lead you through death. There's a grave at the end of this life. 
but the word of God will pass you through safely. For his word says death is gain. Death is God's death. And Christ stands over it triumphant. There's also a false doctrinal word. It speaks of another sovereign, usually the will of man. It finds comfort in another and usually the progress of man's power. And before you know it, you're chasing heaven and fearing you've never made it. But let God's word take you all the way there. The word we hold is true. The word we hold true is a sure knowledge that God is the only wise, faithful, and sovereign, safe course for God's people. God's word, not tradition, not religion, not the church. God's word is the only wise, faithful, sovereign, and safe course for God's people. Because everything else can err. The church can err. Tradition can err. Religion can err. God's word can't err. In our text, he collapsed the greatest nation on earth. Assyria was the greatest nation on earth, and he collapsed it with one little word. One little word. And that word is above all earthly powers. God's word gives us an almighty and faithful father who hears our prayers. He answered the prayer of Hezekiah. The Armenian types will ask, well, if God is sovereign, why pray? To it, we answer, why pray if he is not? <laughs> That's an easy one to answer. We pray because he keeps his word. We pray because he's able to hear. He's able to answer. He keeps his word. 1 Kings 19.34 says, Yahweh says, I will defend this city. I will defend Jerusalem to save it for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. That is an appeal to the promise of God in 2 Samuel 7, the Davidic covenant. And Yahweh is saying, I will deliver my people because of my word, because of my promise. And that covenant, that Davidic covenant, like all the scripture, is fulfilled by the word incarnate. You see, in sad times, like the news of cancer or whatever trouble befalls us in this sad world, Yahweh always shows himself trustworthy for Christ has destroyed Goliath. Christ has destroyed the devil. Satan defied God to Jesus' face, threatened with, with, uh, with fasting and hungry and pain in the wilderness. The devil defied the Lord, tempted Jesus to turn to another. And how did Jesus answer? It is written. He answers with the word of God. And that's how the Christian answers. With the word of God. Then the nations raged against Christ and the actions of Pilate and Herod. Yet this all happened according to God's sovereign plan as it is written. They meant evil against Christ, crucified him. But God meant it for good to bring about our salvation. And that good is our only comfort in life and in death. Christ is our faithful Savior who has delivered us from the tyranny of the devil and now watches over us in such a way that not a hair falls from our head without the will of our Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for our salvation. That's the Word of God. 
That's the truth of God's word. It works. God's word works. Believe it. And it works not only for others, but it works for you. It works for you as if you're the only one it's working for. Do you believe this word? It is written. It is our life. Don't look to another. Christ is all you need for body and soul, in life and in death. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, this word is true. Amen. At Covenant Reformed Church in Missoula, Montana, we sincerely believe God's Word and faithfully teach it. We invite you to worship with us on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. For more information, please visit MissoulaURC.com. That's MissoulaURC.com.